Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. The most courageous thing people can do is to simply stop and ask themselves honest, beautiful questions. everybody. It is Ash here, and I have such a treat for you. This is Philip McKernan, um, who's here visiting to talk to you about how to get clarity on your best career path, how to better love yourself and live more in alignment. He's an inspirational speaker, a writer, a filmmaker, and he works with entrepreneurs and business leaders all over the world, helping them find clarity on their future, helping them move through roadblocks, seen or unseen, And I personally had listened to him speak and you guys know that I talk a lot about clarity and I have courses on it about how to find your purpose, how to be on the best career path. And it is very rare that I listen to somebody and think, wow, I really need to hear what they have to say about this because I am tapped out. I know what I know and I need to know more. So Philip, uh, without further ado, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yeah. And I know you have so much to say and I'm so curious you know, just at least to let everybody know what was your journey somewhat just to get you to this place where you know this information, because I think so many people are in pain because they don't have clarity and their hopelessness isn't because they hate their job. It's because they don't know where to go next. It's one of the most painful things. And the fact that you seem to have the skill set, I'm so curious. How do you think you've honed this? How have you gotten so connected to yourself that you can help others do the same? I think I spend most of my life being disconnected from myself. I spend most of my life doing stuff I didn't truly want to do, uh, assuming that it would all work out in the end and that it would magically come to some crossroads and everything that I've done would have made sense. And I think reality is that I'd love to give you some Hollywood inspirational story, but the truth is that I, I had to, the pain of, of, of not doing what I was here to, to do or meant to do, whatever you want to call that, started to really catch up on me. And it wasn't until it surpassed the so-called discomfort that I had of doing something I didn't want to do, uh, the pain of basically not getting to what I felt was my truth, if you like. Um, blew past that. And that was when I really started to wake up and realize that I don't have my shit together, that I'm not as clever as I thought I was, and that maybe, just maybe, I need to ask for some help outside of myself to uh, to figure out, uh, you know, where I'm going. So a lot of my learnings and a lot of my work is about reducing or eliminating the discomfort and the pain for as many people on this earth as I can before I die. Beautiful. And You know, I think a lot of people are walking around convincing themselves that they're working in a field that they're passionate about because it's scary to face the truth that they're not. And so I'm so curious, like, how can somebody check in with themselves 
as they're listening to us here talking on this podcast and ask that big question of, am I actually happy with where I'm at? Because yes, there's a lot of people who know they haven't figured out what they want to do, but there's some people who think that they figured out what they want to do and they're not just being that really honest with themselves. Yeah. So, so here comes, by the way, a heads up for anybody that doesn't know our sar- sarcasm, but here's my first sarcastic comment of <laughs> the it. day. Surely, Ash, you and I between us could come up with a more sophisticated, complex question other than am I really, truly happy doing what I do? Um, and that's pure sarcasm because the reality <laughs> is it's as simple as that. It's not easy to answer that question truthfully because you, you nailed it. We are walking around this world rationalizing and justifying all of the time that what we're doing or how we're doing it actually makes sense and that it's part of some bigger picture because we'd rather hold on to and maybe i'm being a bit dramatic i'm certainly not trying to judge but we'd rather hold on to an illusion or lie because it feels safer than imagine and open up to the possibility to the things that we don't know in other words we feel safer as humans often holding on to shit because at least we know what the shit smells like, what it feels like, and what it sounds like, as opposed to wonder and head off into the forest, head off down a path, head off into the ocean to explore the possibilities of who we are and who we could be. And are we showing up in this world? Because the unknown for many is so scary, we'd rather stay in the present no matter how uncomfortable that present is. And sometimes we've become so used to pain, we've become so used to discomfort, we've become so familiar and friendly with with misalignment that we don't pivot, we never even question. So to me, the the most courageous thing people can do is to simply stop and ask themselves honest, beautiful questions. People often say to me, oh my God, you moved from the country you love, Ireland, to North America to reinvent. Wow, the courage. You moved from Vancouver to Boulder, Colorado. Wow, the courage. And I go, no, that's the execution. That's the simple stuff. We put way too much credence on the execution of action. The courage, if you want to find it, was when I finally stopped on each of these occasions and asked myself, am I really happy living here? Is this really... Is this the best work? This is the best expression of who I am? Or is there more that I'm just afraid of or uncertain about? That's where the courage comes in. It's not the execution. It's the willingness to ask questions that expose your truth. You about two people. Number one is the person who's lying to themselves. Like, what can they do to get out of that and to really see the truth of where they are so that they can then activate from that intentionality, from that alignment. And then I also want to ask you about the person who doesn't even see the light. Like they know that they already know that they're not happy with where they are, but they don't really know what to do next to connect to themselves. So first, the person who is maybe listening to this in their car in traffic, I already picture it, and they're on their way to work and they think they like what they do. What questions can we ask to bring them back into a deeper level of honesty so that they can go into a deeper level of alignment if possible? I think when we use words like, and again, I I use these words, lie and and honesty, I think what happens is we actually lose people sometimes because then it becomes an integrity question. Mm -hmm. So I want want to be really clear on one thing. Let's assume that Jenny is driving a car right now and she's listening to this a week or a month from now and she's driving through Washington, D.C. and her friend John is sitting next to her. And let's assume that we categorize one of them as a liar and someone who's not as honest and somebody else who knows they're out of alignment but doesn't know what to do next. So we have those two Two people driving in a car. Here's my absolute belief. Both of them are lying to themselves at some level. Both of them are completely disillusioned or they're, 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 they're hiding from a part of their truth. Guaranteed. In other words, what I'm saying is we all lie to ourselves 
not all of the time, but at certain times about certain things. So I want to be really clear that I feel that we all do that. So if we make an assumption, a natural assumption that I'm bullshitting myself in a certain area, I either think I'm too good at something or actually I think I'm such a loser at something. And neither is necessarily the truth. It could be somewhere in the middle. If you start from that place, I think what it does is it, 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 it creates a strength, not a weakness. So, for example, let me give you a real-life example of this. Somebody who's never really worked on their relationship to money, it's a, a body of work that I bring into some of my workshops, and it's a fascinating conversation. They've never thought about their relationship to money. They've focused tremendously on how to make it or how to spend it or how to save it. But they've never really thought about my relationship to money. How dysfunctional or amazing is it? And typically, it's dysfunctional at some level. It's either we give too much power to it or we don't give it enough credence whatsoever. Now, the awareness, assuming that you have a dysfunctional relation with money, when you walk into a business meeting or you're walking into a conversation about numeration, like how much, you know, numbers about how you're going to get paid, you're walking into an interview. If you're aware and you name the fact that you have a dysfunctionality with money, then you bring that information, that knowledge with you, and then you can in real time, start to assess whether you're making a decision based on money from a negative standpoint or a positive standpoint. I would say the same thing when it comes to lying to ourselves. Just assume you're bullshitting yourself somewhere in your life and ask yourself the question is, where am I lying to myself? And what that'll do is it'll equip you. It won't undermine you. The second person who says, okay, I'm not lying to myself. I know my truth. My truth is I'm out of alignment in the industry, the job, the city, the relationship I'm in, some area of my life. Now, what do I do next? And one of the classic things that that individual says is, I'll make a change in this area when I know what's next. In other words, I'll leave this job when I have the next one. I'll leave this relationship when I have the next one. I'll get fit when. And what I would ask those people to consider is forget about what's next. Not completely forget about it, but don't let it to be such a charge. In other words, don't allow the inability to get clear on what's next to keep you in a place that doesn't serve you. In other words, in the absence of clarity, take action. Clarity doesn't come, which I, I'm, I pride myself on helping people get that clarity. But there are occasions where it just doesn't come as clear as the person wants it. Do you stay in the job that's killing you? Do you stay in the city that you hate? Do you stay in the, in the relationship that's dysfunctional and non-serving you? Or do you execute on that and trust that universally you will be looked after because you put a value on your own skin and you execute and let go of the thing that doesn't serve you in order to create the space to bring the things in that do. And I think that, wow, I mean, it's so good. And I'm also thinking about how a lot of people feel kind of groundless, which is really closer to the truth in life than I think we all realize, you know, that we, we, we think we have plans and futures, but things move all the time. And I'm curious for the person listening who's thinking, yeah, I don't have clarity, but one of the biggest objections I hear from job seekers, whether they're in my job offer academy course or my career clarity lab, is they say to me, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to end up in the same spot. So there's a lot of fear there. Um, and so I can imagine anybody listening right now who's listening to your feedback, which is great feedback, saying, okay, stop marinating. If you don't know what to do, just do something. And I think there's value in that because you can course correct. But at the same time, I think there's so many people who – they, they're so afraid that they're going to be in the same spot, if not worse, if they take action and do something when they're already not happy. So what do you have to say to those people? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's get into it. So, so we have this 
this kind of tsunami of of fear often um, that we that sometimes is partly real. Uh, the thing about fear, on, on a by the way comment, is the fear of facing a new career right now, the fear of facing letting go of a career right now, and um, pivoting into something of the unknown. That fear is not actually related directly to that thing. Okay, so I want I want to challenge the audience that the fear they're facing, the bungee jump they're about to take, what I'm suggesting is that's being that's triggering an old fear. So the bungee jump represents, for example, I'm afraid of heights. Well, that's not as simple as that. Like, what are you actually afraid of? When you drill it down, you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into that questioning and be curious about that. What you'll find is you're afraid of being out of control, for example, and control is an illusion. So you you nailed it earlier on is that ultimately you can have all the plans in the world, but the universe has a plan for you or not as the case may be. And the more you plan... I don't think that's that means you're more organized. I think the more you plan, what it really means is the more insecure perhaps you might be. So therefore, you need plans to hold on to and you're afraid to let go and you need to feel that you're in control. Yet control arguably is, well, not arguably, it is a complete illusion because none of us are really in control of anything. We can influence things, but we can't control them. But I want to speak specifically to this idea, this mindset, this framework that we believe that the greatest risk is when we arguably the greatest pain and the failure lies in our ability to make the right decision. But I want to look at failure as it relates to not making any decision. And this is really important. And yet very few people do this. This is a real life example. Let's call this lady Mary. And let's call the company Google. It's not Google, it's not Mary, but we're very close. Um, This lady got on the phone to me. She says, I want a a half an hour phone call with you. I want to get clear or begin to question alignment in my life. She comes on the call and we're having this conversation. And of course it pivots into, I know I'm not in alignment doing what I'm doing in Google, even though I get paid very well. I've got lots of autonomy. It's a sexy, cool job and I work in a great team. And I don't have to work like outrageously or obnoxiously hard. In other words, I've kind of got a cool gig going going on, which is part of her problem, because if she hates her job, it's easier. But when you're, you don't hate it, and you don't love it. It's a weird limbo to be in, because then there's no real urgency to do anything. But here's where the magic happened. She said, I said, so what's really holding? She said, I'm just comfortable. I'm comfortable. And I would have maybe five years ago, let that line go. And I would have said, okay, okay, well, that's part of the challenge. And said, I looked at her and said, you don't look comfortable to me. You don't look comfortable to me at all. You look like someone who's in pain. You're just not in touch with the uncomfortableness. You're not in touch with the cost of sitting in a job doing something you don't want to do. And what you've said is so dangerous because what you're doing is you're so afraid of failure, you're going to do nothing. Yet I would argue every day you go to that job and do something you don't want to do, you're failing yourself every single day. You're cheating on yourself. You're cheating on your soul. Now, please don't take this as I'm judging the shit out of her. My job is to get people in touch with reality, to get them in touch with the pain so they can change their own lives. I'm not here dragging them up a mountain, but I will help them uncover what that mountain is. But it's up to them to climb it. And that is the key. So many people are telling themselves they're comfortable and they're not. They're just not in touch with the pain. How do you think that happens where we get so disconnected from pain? Because it kind of reminds me of that quote about like a flower blooming and how it starts to get painful when nature wants it to bloom if it resists it. You know, it's like the natural flow of things. So I think a lot of people 
are in that, you know, caterpillar butterfly destruction and it looks like destruction and they're resisting it. So what can we do right now for anybody listening who thinks, yeah, okay, I, I identify with this. I am just comfortable and I've been telling people that. So now what? How do I get in touch with my pain and actually make a change? Or can I make a change without having to sit with my pain? Yes, you can. But unfortunately, the reality for many human beings is we don't. We need a wake-up call of sorts. Unfortunately, I like people to be more proactive and rather than wait. So there's a misalignment and what happens is it's a whisper. And then the whisper becomes a bit of a nudge and then it becomes a roar. And then finally, the universe will take out a sledgehammer and it will knock you on your face. And it will do that through sometimes dramatic circumstances. But the, the signs have been there. We know, and typically we wait five years, three years, four years, too late to execute or address an issue. Scientifically, we wait five years too late to work on our relationships. We do the same when it comes to our careers. We do the same when it comes to our relationships around us and so on and so forth. But, but, but you've asked an interesting question. How do we get in touch with that pain? That pain, let's assume for a moment that that pain lies within us. So what basically we're asking is how do we get in touch with ourselves? Therein lies the biggest challenge. We're not in touch with ourselves. We're very out of touch with our the most important relationship I believe on earth. Now, if somebody's listening to this and they believe in God and they think that's the most relationship on earth, that's fine. I respect what you believe. I just see it differently. The single most important relationship on this planet is the relationship we have to ourselves. The challenge for many of us and the reason we're not in touch with the pains and sometimes the beauties is that we're out of alignment or out of touch with who we are. We don't have a relationship with ourselves. We're living in our heads. We're spending an inordinate amount of time in our brains because society rewards that and expects that of us. And when we're consuming vast quantities of information, it pushes us into that place. I'm not asking people to turn their brain off. I'm not asking people to cut their heads off. I'm asking people to connect emotionally with who they are. That's what we were born to do. And over a period of time, we've gone further up into our heads. And therefore, we don't connect with what's actually going on in our lives. We struggle to feel, we struggle to connect with ourselves, and therefore, we struggle to connect with other people. And there is a pandemic, not an epidemic, a pandemic of loneliness within people in the world today. And you can have 10,000 Twitter followers, you can have 500 Facebook friends, you can go to work every day in a large team of people, and you can even lie next to somebody every night and be lonely. Yes. And most people I find today, when they turn off the noise, the busyness, which by the way, if you're constantly busy, my invitation and my challenge is, what are you running from? What are you hiding from? Busyness is, is, for some people, they think it's an antidote to not to feel. The challenge is that your feelings are eventually going to catch up with you and they'll manifest themselves physically. So connecting with ourselves is the, is the primary starting point. When you connect with who you are, then you know how you need to show up in this world. You don't have to do anything with it. It just appears. And let's say that somebody right now is in this process of, of trying to connect to themselves. I know that there's so many anecdotes we've been told as a society, like I grew up in the world of follow your passion. So I'm so curious, what is your feedback on this concept of passion versus a calling versus your natural skill sets? Like how do people take a look at themselves and these core elements that are often discussed as it relates to career? Yeah, I, I think follow your passion sounds great in theory, but the, the, the challenge with it is this, is that 
people don't know what their passions are. Um, further complicate that by the bumper sticker phenomenon where people are taking their bumper sticker with the name of their passion on it and they're slapped with the word passion and the associated connection of feelings and they're slapping it on wine and they're slapping it on coffee and they're slapping. I, told, I used to tell myself I was passionate about coffee. I was in the coffee business for five years. I wasn't passionate about it. I was excited by it. Excitement runs out. Passion doesn't. I was excited about wine, but I thought I was passionate about it. And then what ends up happening is after five years, I became, you know, disenchanted by the whole industry, by what I was doing. And was I actually helping bring humanity forward with alcohol or was I in some way, shape or form making it stagnant or bringing it backwards or whatever? Um, I love the industry and I love a glass of wine and I love the people that are in the wine business for the most part. But it just wasn't for me. But then what ended up happening is rather than saying to myself, you know what, honestly, that wasn't really my passion. It was just it felt exciting from my previous career. Um, And then what ends up happening is you start to feel inadequate. You start to feel like, actually, here's the problem. Everyone around me seems to figure out their passion. Every time I turn on the TV, everyone's talking about passion. Every time I read a book, someone's found their passion and they're delivering it. Maybe the problem is me. And a lot of personal growth sometimes indirectly or directly almost makes us feel inadequate as opposed to empowered. And we start to feel like we're not enough in the world. And all of that leads back to this sense of self-judgment, of lack of acceptance, of lack of respect for self. And very few of us have ever taken the time, certainly in school, I know I can't speak for you, Ash, but did you walk down your corridor in school and was there a, was there a room with a big sign on the door, hey, come on in here, get to know who you are, accept who you are, <laughs> respect who you are and love who you are? Probably not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that was the career services department, which smelled like burnt coffee and broken broken futures. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And, 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 the, and the stench of burning flesh and burning souls totally. and burning come flying out the door. So the point is that I don't want to get all woo-woo here and everything else and think it's all about self-love, hugging trees, hugging yourself, and everything's going to be awesome because I'm a very practical person. I love execution. I'm very about getting in touch with the truth. But when you work with people to the extent that I've done over so many years – it all comes back to how they're in relationship to their self. And, and there's one thing, as someone said to me recently, someone said to me recently, if you died and there was one message you'd like to leave to the world, what would it be? And I've got lots of quotes and everything else, but the quote that I really believe encapsulates what I'm trying to say here so, so, so clear, or at least I think it's clear, is the following statement and what this means, is we give ourselves what we feel we deserve. We give ourselves what we feel we deserve. So what I mean by that is this. We can have a vision board. We can have a mantra. We can have a vision board with the lifestyle that we want, with all the material trappings, the spiritual stuff, everything on it, the perfect man, the perfect woman, the perfect child. And it doesn't matter because we can look at that every morning for three hours and tell ourselves and fake it till we make it and tell our brain to rewire it and all that other stuff that we think we believe. But with every step we take out into the world, we're actually seeking to validate how we feel about ourselves. So if we don't have a very good feeling or sense of self or like ourselves, which most people don't, and most people don't trust themselves in this world. And then we wonder why we make bad decisions, which is another conversation. If we don't have that self-respect, it doesn't matter what's on the vision board. We're going to go out to create what we feel. We So we end up attracting the wrong men into our life and the wrong women, or we attract sabotage relates to business, or we create successful businesses that give us success but not satisfaction. Yes. It's a sense of sabotage, but it comes down to the relationship itself, which most people have never truly 
done a deep dive and done the necessary work to begin that process. You know, you've mentioned a couple things that I just held on to, which was excitement versus passion. And I would love just to kind of help everybody listening right now, because I think that this is such a fine line and very hard to put your mind around and your heart around is what feels exciting and what feels like an actual passion and and how can we tell the difference? So what are the distinctions between the two that people could kind of check in with? Because it's like, and, and what do you do with the things you're excited about? Does that just mean that that's supposed to be a hobby? Maybe, and maybe you can make money doing it. But just once you know, I just want people to know everything, like to know what's real and what's going on. Um, I'll give you a real life example. So a lady phoned me, beautiful soul. And she said, I want 15 minutes of your time. And I had done some coaching work with her. And she said, I've got a decision to make. And I want to put it by you. I'm standing in a train station. I'll never forget the day in Vancouver in Canada. And uh, and Julie comes on the call and she said, I've got an opportunity. And she said, um, I want to write a book. And I've just been approached by the number one person in my industry and they want to co-author with me. So think about the industry that you're in. You might be in dentistry and the most iconic or well-known or most, you know, the, the biggest educator in the world of dentistry comes to you and says, I want to write a book with you. They've got a massive list. They've got massive exposure. They've got massive distribution, PR, et cetera. And it, it, it's a huge opportunity. And I said to her, okay, so I asked her the question is this was, and this is one of the biggest telltale signs to anybody who is grasping onto excitement rather than passion, and that is attachment. If you are so attached that you're blinded by it, that there's a, there's a negative connotation, a negative energy. And I said to her, how, how desperately do you want to write a book? She says, out of 10. And I said, yeah, she said 12. And I said, well, there's your first problem. She goes, hang on, how could that be a problem? Does that not show tenacity and determination? Does that not show that I want this so badly? Is that Because that's what I'm meant to me. And I said, no, because when you want something so badly, you're willing to oversee certain subtleties and nuances as your path to get there. Take a single person who deep down desperately desires a companion, an intimate partner. Mm. And I work with a lot of single people. I work with a ton of couples. And they desperately are seeking a partner because deep down they believe that unless they are in an intimate relationship and have somebody to journey this world with, they're not going to be that happy. Here's the problem. They will most likely allow certain nuances and subtleties go as it relates to a person and then maybe find out in a few years time that actually they picked the wrong person because they overlook those they overlook those things in the early part of the relationship because they were so fixated on the outcome as opposed to the journey. And 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 a, by the way is if you desperately need somebody to feel happy well then I would look at your own relationship to yourself because I feel that we should be self-sustainable and then a, a relationship can simply enhance our journey on this earth. So going back to our lady about the the book, I said, you're so attached. So I said, my next question is this, do you trust this man? She says, well, you know, I mean, I said, Julie, don't go there with me. In this occasion, I'm looking for an absolute yes or an absolute no. And she said, well, that's the case, no. And the next words out of her mouth was, and I asked this question, I said, do you want to write a book and put your name next to somebody you don't trust? And have that on a bookshelf for the rest of your life. And I and excuse in advance, but this is what she said. Fuck you, McKernan. And in other words, she was annoyed with me. She was annoyed with herself. Mm-hmm. And she faced a truth that she knew coming on the phone already. But I just helped her get in touch with it. But here's the magic. She said no to the opportunity. 
she was devastated. She was upset. She, then she questioned and oscillated back and forth between, God, did I make the right decision? Did I not? And six months later, she woke up one morning and in six weeks, she wrote the entire manuscript of the book that not that she thought would sell, but the book she know she knew she needed to write. And it went to number one on Amazon in every category, not just some, you know, dogs with a limp and one eye category book. <laughs> and, there's not, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just I'm illustrating a point. She wrote a book that went to number one in Amazon and sustained that for quite some time. And she mm-hmm. did very well with it. And now she's actually helping people write books and so on. And she's created a publishing company and so on and so forth. But to me, the lesson in that is profound. And that is when we are so attached to something, we're unwilling to see some of the nuances and we end up attracting people that we're not in alignment with and we don't trust. And it always comes back to haunt us. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash Clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash Clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And what is your suggestion? I mean, I think that it's such a slippery slope. And by the way, this is such a funny example for you to be giving today because on on Friday of this week, I'm getting three offers from publishing houses uh, for my book on, and you know, given that this is the U-Turn podcast, it's the U-Turn book. And it's so funny because the first publisher that said they were going to bid on the book, I was so excited to know I was getting a book deal just knowing that they were going to bid. And they said, we're going to bid on this, but can you turn this a little bit more into a career book? And can you maybe change the title? And I was like, oh, I don't want to change this. I really like what I have to say here. And then the second one, they're like, we really love your book, but can you change this? And then the third one was like, we just really love this book and can't wait for you to write it. And I do think we live in a world where sometimes people buy into the belief that they're asking too much to want full alignment. And, you know, if you're in the workforce, more likely than not, you're building somebody's dream more than you're building your own. And so we're still having to accommodate somebody else's vision. So what would be your feedback for somebody who doesn't feel alignment with the people around them? Like, how can they look at themselves to shift that? Because not only is this happening with my book right now, which I'm really excited and I'm probably going to take the bid, obviously, from the person who you know, told me that they just like what I have to do. And that felt so good in my body. But my old self would have taken the highest bidder and abandoned myself and written a book that they wanted because of money. And so I would love to hear about, you know, a little bit more about what your thoughts are with money, because you were saying that when you're in alignment, it's this, it's this beautiful experience as it can be, but it's also one of the scariest things. Like for me, writing this book, it's totally in alignment. I feel like I've been carrying a book in me since I was five years old and it's the scariest thing in the world. Like I've been working towards getting this book proposal out, getting this book deal. And now that I'm about to write this book, it's like, holy shit, I have to share my life with people. I'm not writing a book on how to's. I'm writing about my journey and what I learned from it for everybody else to learn. And it's, it makes me feel like throwing up. It's so scary. So I think a lot of the time, alignment matches up with fear, panic, and worry. So how can we kind of navigate that for everybody who's listening? 
I think there's about five questions in there. Holy yeah, crap. yeah. So, so shit, so get, get ready. I, I think one thing that you're pointing out directly or indirectly is that alignment is not some place of, you know, everything's blissfully happy and everything's great. I, I think that's the problem. And when people don't have perfection, then they think they're out of alignment. I'm in alignment with the work I'm doing. Maybe not always how I do it. So I'm constantly pivoting and shifting how I do it. And I think that's an, another mistake we make is that we find out overall over overarching what we want to do for the rest of our lives but then we forget to change how we do it and if we don't change how we do it on a consistent or semi-consistent basis we become complacent um, and money plays into this in a big way but you said something the very beginning of your comment and that is if somebody's in an organization or in a group that they're out of alignment with that team how do they change themselves and i think that is the key here because i do um, some organizational work. I speak for some organizations, very few, but, and, and without getting into too much detail, is organizations talk about loving their people and their people being number one, but they typically invest <clears throat> in ways to develop their people as long as they add either money or revenue or productivity to the bottom line, which is fine. That means it means that they love their people as long as they're profitable or productive. That's different. If you love your people and love your people in isolation, well, then my invitation or challenge to any organization is is to invest in those people off the ice help them develop as people as parents with their relationship to money help them understand who they are help them build self-awareness create that environment and somebody might say well that's not my responsibility when somebody comes through the door of my company that's not my responsibility if they've got personal stuff going on like oh it may not be your responsibility but i can promise you one thing it's your problem because we inject are personalized into our business. And to think that we are like Batman or Batwoman or Catwoman or whatever she's called, where we can put on a uniform and be one person and take it off and be another is a joke. That's what we try to do. But it is inauthentic. It is out of alignment. It is the most exhausting journey on earth trying to be two things and pretending to be one thing and not being that thing, whether it's in the office or out of the office. But I think we cannot, I believe we cannot control the company. We can sit there, and, and this is an amazing question, I believe, for all of us to consider, is what expectations are we pushing onto the companies we work for, the businesses and business partners we have, our, our relationships, even our children, to make us happy? And I worked with a company recently, like literally last week, and every exercise we did, I just said, listen, this company can do better. This company can look after you, but this company should do this, should do that, whatever. But what is what are you bringing through the door and expecting this company to provide you to make you happy? What are you projecting onto them that you're unwilling to look at in your own life? And I think that is one of the reasons that most relationships begin to fall apart is that we have these unwritten expectations, our spoken expectations that we project onto our partner that they didn't sign up for. Their job is not to make you happy. Their job is to show up and be the best version of them possible. And if you get light from that, if you get darkness from that, if you get joy from that, and to, to give you the freedom to be the best version of yourself. But their job is not to make you happy. And I think a lot of us walk into work thinking that company is here to make me happy. And I think that is a fundamental mistake we make in this world and i think if we look in the mirror and say how do i walk through that door and be the best i can be every single day and eventually if it's out of alignment i can have the conversations i can try to change it but if it doesn't work i need to move on because i'm just not a fit for this and you know um we did an episode i don't know if you've ever met a guy dan cable but he wrote a book about how to feel alive no. at work and the episode was i mean it was just insane like he 
talked a lot about like, what can you do about a job? Like, how can you pivot your job to make it the kind of job you actually want it to be? So I'm curious, like what your take would be on that for anybody listening who they're doing the work, they're listening to this episode and they're saying to themselves, yeah, I am comfortable. I must not be in touch with my pain. Like, I want to work on that. I want to look at that. What would be one step that they can do to start getting in touch with themselves and start turning their reality into something that they can be their best self in? Or how do they start doing that? Well, I think, I think again, honestly, uh, at day one, I mean, if you can sit there and say, I'm going to be in this job for the next 20 years, well, then great. If you can't answer yes to that question, well, then I think it's a it's a telling sign that not that you're 100% out of alignment, but you're probably doing something that's not, not you know, nurturing the, the essence of who you are. Um, I mean, I think one question we all need to consider when we're in a job, and I'm not this big fan that everyone has to be an entrepreneur because there's this unspoken thing that's kind of filtering through society right now. It's, it's a bit of a whisper and it's getting louder that really you need to be an entrepreneur to be successful. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I'm not an advocate for entrepreneurship, and I don't think entrepreneurship equals happiness. I know many entrepreneurs that are miserable. I know many entrepreneurs that struggle, and I know many entrepreneurs that are afraid to share how they're struggling and how they're lonely because when you're an entrepreneur, you're meant to be strong and you're meant to be sexy and it's meant to be cool and it's meant to be this exciting, uncertain journey. Um, So I don't think entrepreneurship is the answer. However, I would ask the question is, are you really meant to be employed? Uh, Because I think a lot of people who are sitting in jobs, working in jobs, and move from organization to organization to organization and never seem to be fully fulfilled. And they're blaming the system, they're blaming the corporate world, and they're blaming the corporate ladder, and they're blaming their management team, they're blaming the system, and they're blaming Donald Trump, and they're blaming everybody. Um, Maybe they need to look in the mirror one day and say, actually, uh, there's a common denominator here, and I'm the, I'm the single common denominator in all of this. Maybe I'm not meant to work for another organization. Maybe I'm meant to work for myself. And I think that's one very simple conversation and thought process that we can have. Um, and I think a lot of people are not asking enough of that question. And then where else Where else in my life am I not expressing myself? For example, you know, I do a, a retreat in Ireland every year, and sometimes we bring in this painting exercise, and it's got a purpose behind it, which I won't share now. But it ignites people's love for painting or reintroduces them to something. And a lot of us have forgotten to nurture ourselves. We, we don't put a value on playing the banjo. We don't put the value on playing a, a flute. We don't put a value on dancing because we don't see that that's a productive thing. We can't make money doing it, so we don't do it. And therefore, we're not nurturing our souls by doing the things that we need to do to nurture ourselves. And I think, and then we, and then again, when we're not doing that, we're putting so much pressure back on our businesses and our, our, our livelihoods. And we're pouring so much of our identities into our name and our business cards. And we're expecting that to solve everything. And it's not. You know, one thing I noticed just when you answered our call to get started on this interview is how much you feel to me, not afraid of losing anything. Like when, when you picked up the phone and, and we just started talking, you were like, Oh, just, you know, this is where I'm at right now. And this is who I am. And I think a lot of people wish that they could really step into that. And I know that your process of getting there must have been a lot of feeling whatever pain you had that kept you from being the the light you are. And I'm so curious for somebody who's listening right now, they're sitting in their desk and they're like, yeah, shit, I feel like I do have a lot of pain and I do want to get out of this. And And it all just doesn't feel possible or doable. And one thing that you said once in an interview that I heard you say was passion is something you do even when you're not paid for it. I thought that was a really good distinguisher. And so I'm curious, like, what what way can somebody start to light up in their life, even if they don't feel connected in their job? Like, how can they start to approach 
their free time to connect to themselves? Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful question. I believe our greatest gift lies right next to our deepest wound. Um, and we may touch on that or we may not. Um, but I think, you know, one of the challenges in the world today, one of the greatest educators, the greatest probably educator in the world is pain. And and yet it's the very thing that humans are, uh, you know, designed to almost avoid. So if I throw a stone at somebody, they duck, they put their hands up to protect themselves or they turn away. And I think we do the same thing with pain. We, we avoid discomfort at, 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 sometimes at all costs. Um, and I literally am not exaggerating. We, we sometimes we'd rather die than face the pain of discomfort. Um, but yet when we when we face it and 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 we do allow that to consume us or to move over us or move through us, we always come out stronger as long as it doesn't grab us and pull us pull us down. Um, but but yeah, I think you've touched on something really important. What a lot of people don't know about me, um, if I can just make this personally for a moment, is yeah, is I I had a I was working in a job, I was working in the coffee industry, I was enjoying it. I was you know you know we were, my brother ran this business. I was helping him build it, et cetera. And, um, and then on the side, I was meeting people in a pub in Dublin, and I was basically helping them. Uh, I was coaching them, doing one hour a week uh, with that individual over a cup of tea uh, in a meeting room, or not even a meeting room because we, you know, I didn't have a budget for it. And I would give that money. I, w- I took the, the, the whole energy uh, around money off the table about you know putting a value on the work and we the person at the end of those six weeks would cut a check and that check would go to their charity or if they didn't have one it would go to one of you know a charity I liked and um, so I was doing this coaching thing for years and most people never taught, asked me about it they never really talk about how I get started they want to they want to focus on how did I get to where I am not that I feel I'm at a rival but I'm speaking in front of 5,000 people so one week I'm coaching a you know a professional football team or, or in the next week I'm dealing with entrepreneurs and people who want to get going and I'm dealing with mom and pops and they want to know how I got there but a lot of people want to ignore the grafting the work the, the, the experimentation, which I think is something that we have, we've let go of and that, that creativity and that curiosity, that is the essence of who we are as human beings. Um, you know, people say to me, how do I become that type of speaker? And I go, get one client. And they go, no, you're not. You didn't answer my question. I asked, how do you get, how would I get on the stage like you do? And I go, one client. Mm -hmm. And they go, you didn't answer my question. I said, I did. You just don't like the answer. You want to know how to fast forward and get to do this. But this is how I did it. And I'm not saying you need to follow the exact same path. But I think when you, you're willing to put in the work and you're willing to do it for free, it's a huge indicator that that is something that's not, a passion, not an excitement. It is a deeper passion. And it's something that you're willing to do for the rest of your life for free. And you don't have to put a value on it based on monetary re- reward. That's so helpful. And one of the, I'm, I'm still stuck on you saying like, you know, some people here might not belong in the workforce, which is a huge uh, thought to consider for a lot of people because it feels so like, I don't know, I remember before I was an entrepreneur, the concept of somebody going out there and making money out of thin air felt mind blowing. Whereas now it's just a way of life and I feel more security being an entrepreneur, knowing I know how to make money on my own than I ever did in the workforce. But For somebody who's listening right now and they are called to start a business and they don't feel clear on what that idea is, but they do feel like, I want to start a side hustle and maybe they do want to earn money on the side and there's no shame for anybody here who wants to earn a better living. But I'm curious, like how how simple can we make this for them? Does it just come down to creating a list of possibilities and picking something and trying it on? Like how, how simple or complicated 
can we make this for anybody listening? Oh, we'll, we'll make it complicated. Let's do it. That's <laughs> easy. We a lot of people are complicated. I mean, there's one thing we are geniuses at as human beings totally. is complicating the shit out of things and then justifying and rationalizing why we've done it. I mean, we all have master's degrees on that. We are, we have, we're Olympic athletes at that stuff. Um, and that's part of the problem. And yet, arguably, I would say that, you know, this idea that life leaves clues and I do this exercise, and might be a bit of fun just to suggest this to your to your to your listeners. Is uh, it's a little exercise called the five happiest days, and you you list out the five happiest days, and they don't have to be happy from nine o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night. It could have been a moment, it could have been a smile, it could have been a hug, it could have been just a, a fifteen minutes, an hour of that particular day, and you reflect back on the five happiest days of your life, and then you hierarchy them one to five. And then you ask yourself very one simple question is why? Why were these the happiest days of my life? And what you'll find is there's nuances. You'll find is there's commonalities. You'll find that there is a there's a thread. And I'm not suggesting it has to happen, but often you'll start to see that there is a pattern here. And when I did the five happiest days and my wife, I realized that my my happiest days was my happiest day was my stag party, my books, my bachelor party, whatever the hell you want to call it. And it wasn't that it was a hiking and the men that we worked, we did, and we this workshop and we walked this five thousand year old road in Ireland. And I realized, and then of course, why was it the happiest day? And then finally, how can you make more of these days? And that actually was the basis for the very first retreat I ran in Ireland. The second one was a day in an orphanage, and we ended up creating a documentary on the back of that. Um, and life leaves clues if you're willing to see it. Sometimes we think we need to reinvent the wheel and find something that has never been done by humanity before. I think sometimes you can do something similar that's been done, but just do something different, and that's give a shit maybe. I don't know, but experiment with stuff. Um, but the one key thing is, are you doing a side hustle? Are you looking to set up a business to make money or to make an impact? One is not right. One is not wrong. But be very clear. If you want to make money, I'm probably not the best advisor in the world. If you want to do something that moves humanity forward and is, has meaning attached to it and that you can monetize, that's a different conversation. Beautiful. And I think, you know, one thing I've experienced personally as an entrepreneur is that as I grow and change, I am no longer the person who built something. It's how it feels. You know, like I created the Job Offer Academy course to help people land a job. And I know all of that information, but there was a certain point where I grew past the information and it just felt like, okay, I don't, I don't know what else to say about job hunting anymore. I feel like I've outgrown the girl who built this company. So how do you deal with those growing pains where maybe you felt completely in alignment and then that shifts? Sometimes I wonder, are, am I just a couple millimeters off? Like, am I just in an airplane that feels like I'm heading to China, but if I move a couple millimeters, it's going to take me to Hawaii? Like, how do you course correct when you feel like you've been in alignment and then suddenly what felt so good no longer fits you? Yeah, to, to me, it's attachment again. It's back to attachment. It's like, how attached are you to that alignment at that time, that feeling? Because it's infectious. It's also like a drug. It feels, you know, really exciting. Um, and you shared before we came online, there was a time where you were so busy and you said you'll come back to a certain body of work or exploration that you'll do. And I think one of the challenges I find is people, I'm getting emails every week. 
at least a couple of months from people saying, I saw you five years ago, I saw you four years ago, everything was rocking and roll, at least that's what I thought. And I knew I needed to talk to you, but I was unwilling to do it at the time. Hey, things haven't worked out as great as I thought they did, or we're going to, I reached the pinnacle of my business or my, my job or whatever, and I'm out of alignment. Can you help me get back online? And I think that that presents this opportunity or possibility is that just, you know, constantly like invest in yourself and of course i would say this so people say well they're going to roll their eyes and say well he's a coach so of course he's going to recommend this but even if it's not with me find somebody this is not me advertising my work it's me advertising this idea that you invest in yourself on the way up not on the way down when everything is going absolutely swimmingly when you don't believe you've got any challenges in your life that is the very time that you need to invest in who you are. You need to go to a workshop, go to an event, do something, get somebody to, to, to question you. And if nothing, to, to, to ensure you're in alignment. Somebody said to me, what if I go to one of your events and I don't, get, I don't get a massive result? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, what if I walk away knowing that I'm on the right path and thinking, what's wrong with that? Like, would you rather run that risk of finding out that actually you're on the right path as opposed to maybe not? And I've never found that, by the way. I've never found anybody that, that has the perfect life and is in alignment. So my question is, is, is constantly question yourself, is just assume that you're always a few degrees away from a greater degree of alignment. Now, I don't mean obsess about that because then you'll never enjoy what you're doing. But on a, you know, every couple of weeks, every month, just question, why do I live in Manhattan? Why am I about to sign this lease? Why am I really, really, really setting up this new business? And just keep asking yourself these questions. And again, I love this notion of curiosity and curiosity and humanity is dying. It's dying because if someone said to me, do you want to go on safari? What I would typically do, what humans typically do is they get in a drone and now you can even fly your own drone anywhere in the world. And then they go in and YouTube and they look at, you know, the safari and they look at the camp they're going to be staying at and everything else. And I think it's killing a little bit of spontaneity or a lot of spontaneity. But I love this whole feeling of curiosity. But there's so many people that are judging themselves in the world, judging themselves for not finding their passion, judging themselves for not being good enough, judging themselves for not having as much money at this moment in their life that they thought they would have, judging themselves, their bodies, their, their faces, their, their partnerships. And if we could turn that into curiosity, I think we would grow a shit ton more as opposed to beating ourselves up because we're really, really good at doing that. And I think, you know, in my case, it's like when I question everything, it, it can feel scary because I look at my projects that I have active right now. I have private clients figuring out what they want to do with their career. I have this podcast, a book, courses. Um, so what is your suggestion when somebody like me or anybody listening, they kind of look at it and they're like, oh, I, I need to get rid of this. Um, this doesn't feel right. It feels very, I don't know, to me, like I could feel very unstable, like just blowing something up. So what, what can somebody do in that transition point? You were saying like how you were coaching people in coffee shops, figuring out what that one thing is that you feel like you would be down to do for free. Um, I'm thinking about your five-day exercise. And in my case, it's like the five days that I was the most lit up, more often than not, I'm, I'm thinking I was just traveling and walking around and not really doing anything work that feels work-related. So what would be your suggestion for somebody that kind of realizes like, okay, now I need to step away? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I ran a coaching program for years and it represented 90% of our revenue and it was growing very fast. And I came to my wife one day and I said, um, it's gone. And she goes, what's gone? I said, the, the, the coaching program we're running, she says, great. Okay, cool. Um, what are you going to do? What, well, what's going to replace it? And I said, don't know. It's going to be great, but I don't know yet. 
and I, I burnt it. There, there's this feeling, there's this weird feeling in society. And I guarantee if you take that voice of, well, that's irresponsible, that voice that's going out inside of you. And if you had to name that voice, if you had to put a name on that voice and say, okay, that pretend, pretend that statement is coming out of my mouth or coming out of my mind, but it's not my voice, whose voice would it be? Guaranteed it's your father, it's your mother, it's your grandfather, it's, it's some societal figure. And I'm not suggesting that we all burn every ship at the moment. I'm not suggesting we all walk in tomorrow morning and resign. I'm not suggesting we shut down our businesses or shut down a part of our businesses. But it needs to be on the table. It needs to be a conversation. It needs to be a possibility. And if I was to sit here and say it's not, I'd be a goddamn hypocrite because I've shut down the Vikings when they got to land. When they'd push up on the beach, they would burn their ships to show their commitment and the fact that they're not going back. Wow. They would burn their ships. And that's, and that's true. And I do think there is a time and place that we just let go, give, not give up, because give up sounds like you're quitting, but let go, move away energetically from the thing that's not serving you and see what comes. I believe in my soul that most people's greatest work is yet to come. And while we talk about wonderful artists and amazing musicians, I've worked with a number of artistic people, and most of them will go to their graves with their greatest music, their greatest art, their greatest sculpture inside of them. Mm -hmm. In other words, they've never delivered to the world. Mm -hmm. And they're afraid of stepping out. They're afraid of leaning in. They're afraid of expressing all of who they are. And I feel that that's the same for a lot of people. And if I ask your audience, this question is, is your greatest work yet to come? Does that question excite the shit out of you? Does that question numb you or does that question scare you? How you are in relationship to that question will, will to some extent give you a great insight to who you are. I believe personally for me, my work is just beginning. I have no idea what it's going to look like five years, two years from now, but I believe I'm just getting warmed up. I believe my greatest work is yet to come and I don't know what that is and I don't need to know what that is. So my job my job is to make sure that if that's the reality, here's my job. Don't get too attached to what you're currently doing because then that's like blinkers and create space to allow the curiosity to, to churn up magic, to churn up the gift, to churn up what you cannot see, what's yet to come. Mm. My job is to not be too attached and create space. Creating space meaning I take time on my own in isolation, not meditation, not journaling, just time on my own with nothing, with no agenda and see what comes. And when I did that, um, I created a concept called One Last Talk that came out of nowhere. And yet it came out of, my, I knew it was there. And I created the space. I let go of my greatest, you know, my, my most lucrative coaching program. And one last talk was born. Now, is that coincidence? Or is there something spiritually energetic in that? I do not believe for one second it's coincidence. It's like you let go of something and you make space beautiful. And final question, and then I want to know where everybody can find you and learn from you. I know you have a program on intuition. And I think everybody listening right now is trying to discern between their intuition and their fear. So for everybody listening who's doing your five-day exercise and stepping away from this interview, implementing what we talked about, what can you share with them about their intuition and how to know when they hear it versus they don't? 
Yeah, to me, I, I suppose the, the the place I would start is is trust. You know, we think about trust as this external thing. Do I trust my bank manager? Or do I trust my babysitter? Or do I trust this person? Do I trust that person? But I think the question back to people is, do you trust yourself? And I find that that is certainly pretty pivotal when it comes to, therefore, trusting your intuition. And your intuition is something you do not need to find. It is not under a rock. It is not behind a bush and it doesn't lie in a bookstore uh, within the sleeves of a book. Intuition is something that you were born with. It's an, it's, it's a gift. It, it is probably one of the greatest human gifts that we have and attributes that we have. But it's something that we have suppressed and we've pushed away. So my starting point is not how do I become more intuitive. It's like, why have I stopped trusting my intuition. And that would give you a lot more insight into how you can navigate that. And I think the world is going to revolt back into a place of connecting intuitively. And I could ramble on about intuition all day long. I can yeah. give you science and I can give you stats, but I'll leave it at that for the moment. But again, just as the natural assumption and the starting point is assume it's already there in abundance. How do I just get back in touch with it? I begin to trust it more. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Where can everybody find you and join you on one of your workshops? God knows by the end of this, I'm going to the website and I'm going to be at one. So where can everybody find you? And what do you recommend for them to get started with you? Yeah, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit unapologetic. I've got a two-day workshop coming up. It's the only two-day workshop I'm running in North America in 2019, and that is in Boulder on the 28th and for 28th of February and the 1st of March. That would be the best starting point for anybody who's even remotely interested in this. And it's a self-discovery, clarity-intensive experience, which is a lot of fun and is intense at the same time. Um, and the other thing is, if you don't mind me mentioning, is no, I won't get into the details of it, but I just released a book called One Last Talk, and uh, we, we can maybe talk about that another day. But one last talk is probably the most important piece of literature, definitely the most important piece of literature I've ever written and maybe the most important book I ever will write. Who knows? But that's available on Amazon right now. It's called One Last Talk. Wonderful. I'm uh, philipmckernan.com is my main website. Wonderful. I'll post that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time and all of your insight and for dealing with my compound questions. <laughs> oh, I love it. Ash. I love it. I love the openness, the honesty, the, the excitement. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, not me, you and, and, and this environment. So thank you for that. And I really appreciate the invitation to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Wow, guys, I just got off of this episode with Philip McKernan and, uh, you know, I am so inspired by him because as somebody who has all of these courses on how to figure out your purpose in the workforce and how to figure out how to get that job, it's like so rare for me to listen to somebody that has something totally new and totally original to say about clarity, about taking action. And Although I totally am in alignment with him about how to be with your pain and how important it is to face your fears, there's so much that he covered that I never really think about, like the distinction between excitement and passion. And, you know, there's there's so much there with him, and that's why I'm so excited to take one of his workshops. But what I wanted to share with you was around this concept of intuition, because one of the biggest things I hear more often from people in my Career Clarity Lab course on how to figure out the best career path for you is how do I know when I have an intuition versus just it's just fear and I'm just trying to come up with a plan. And what I've found about intuition, and I know that Philip McKernan said that part of your job is just to ask yourself, why aren't you listening to your intuition? Why aren't you trusting yourself? How are you blocked? What are those blocks? But what I've learned about 
intuition and how to figure out what it is, is that it's usually absolute. So what I've found with my own instincts and intuition is that it usually doesn't sound like this, you know, it doesn't sound like fear. It sounds like this is good for me. This is not good for me. And usually your body will keep score and let you know what the truth is there. So your body will feel into if something's good for you or if something's not. Um, for example, it could happen when you're dating somebody, you get some pit in your stomach and deep down you feel like this isn't good for me, even though you have a connection with them, even though they're a really beautiful soul. That happens often. Um, sometimes with career, maybe there's an opportunity that comes out of left field and it doesn't make sense, but there's something in your body saying, this is good for you. And usually I believe that that is just your intuition. If it's emotional, if it's going on and on in your head and you hear a voice in your head that's um, having a lot of opinions about something, I find that often for me to be fear. So again, intuition, instinct, it's just absolute. It's this is good for me, this isn't good for me. Um, and so that's what I want to just offer you around that. Another thing I want to remind you about is what I learned from Emily Fletcher, who created Ziva Meditation and who did an episode with me here on the podcast about how to stress less. And one thing that Emily taught me was about this dynamic of three forces, creation, maintenance, and destruction. So let's unpack all of these. So she said that at any given time, we're in creation, maintenance, or destruction. And I believe I've talked to you about this in another episode. Um, but when you're in creation, I like to think you're in alignment. You're fully excited and expressed and ready to, you don't feel a lot of resistance. You feel pulled by a vision. You feel pulled to take action. Um, when you're not in creation, I found it super interesting that you're usually around the corner from maintenance, which means maybe you created something and now it's time to keep it going. It's working. It's operating. This has happened for me in business. Um, there was a period of two years where I was in creation. I was creating my e-course, which is now the Job Offer Academy to land a new job you love. And I was in absolute creation trying to create the best thing in the world for job seekers to figure out how to get that new job and give them the best skills on salary negotiation and job interview skills and resume writing. I was so possessed by my own pull towards creation. And then when it started to work two years later, I had thousands of customers in the course and then it became a game of how do I maintain this? How do I get the right employees? How do I keep revenue the same now that it blew up? And then here's the thing, and I think you can relate to this, is one thing I didn't realize, but I learned from Emily, is that after creation becomes maintenance and after maintenance comes destruction. And so what I found was Facebook ads got really expensive. My lead cost tripled. And next thing I knew, I went from maintenance to what felt like destruction. Suddenly it became a game of like, how do I keep everybody employed? Lead costs are changing. How do I keep advertising this course and keep it getting out there when you know it's getting more expensive to promote it? Um, and then all of a sudden was destruction. I was fully in destruction, was like, oh my gosh, I can't keep my staff on all of this. And that was what inspired me to move people over to Cake Publishing. So anybody that was on my team over at Ashley International helping with the job hunting course, if they had writing skills, I brought them over to Cake Publishing as ghostwriters, as copywriters. Um, but there are some staff that I didn't know what to do with because I was in destruction, losing money and not really sure how to pick up the pieces. So um, what I found really comforting about this is that it 
then means that creation is around the corner because it's cyclical. So if you feel like you're in maintenance right now, I just want you to know you're around the corner from destruction. And I think your biggest work is to start listening to your instinct. Start listening to that voice inside of you that is so absolute that says, this is good for me. This isn't good for me. And if you find yourself, like Philip said, feeling comfortable, like I'm comfortable, this is good enough, then start to get in touch with your pain. Is it really enough for you just being comfortable and getting by? And if so, that's that's great. But I'm guessing that if you're really in truth, it's not enough for you. And I think the next step is to ask yourself, what would you do for free? What feels like something that you're really passionate about that aligns with who you are and what your skill sets are in the world? And maybe that means doing his five-day exercise, what the five best days of your life were, whatever it means for you. I would love your thoughts on this episode. I'm really excited that I got to have him on the show. Uh, I remember seeing him speak four or five years ago, and I was just so swamped in work. And I remember thinking, one day I'm going to start a podcast and have him on. So that day was now. And um, I would love for you to DM me at Ashley Stahl on the gram and just let me know what you thought of this episode or share whatever nuggets of wisdom. And of course, if it inspired you, please leave us a review on iTunes. It is the most supportive and giving and loving thing you could do to support me in this podcast. And um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to connect with you on another week on the U-Turn podcast. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. 